0: So, Daniel, an example of a life set apart for God. You could make many points, I think, on this. And I went for Daniel 6, just because it was a passage that included a lot of the things that I wanted to talk about, like having to dart through all the 12 chapters. In Daniel's life, you can see a person of dynamic prayer, a person that is completely yielded to the Lord, someone of sound character and someone who is meaningfully engaging with the world around them. Absolute surrender. Now, Daniel, it's interesting, even if you just go for just the context, you find in Daniel chapter 1, where it it says in Daniel 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after they were this, they were entered the king's service. Among those who were chosen, some were from Judah: Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So basically, the context is that the people of God are in exile, and Daniel is one of those that's been selected. He's been called out to serve in this kind of amazing. Function, this amazing role. And actually, what we find is that uh, because of Daniel's life and his walk with the Lord, um, he gets elevated, a bit like Joseph, I suppose, similar stories in some ways. Uh, Joseph gets kind of elevated to this role as kind of second in Egypt, only under Pharaoh. And likewise, Daniel and his various dealings with different kings uh, that we read about throughout Daniel. You know, we just heard of Nebuchadnezzar, and it's a different uh, king. Uh, that we read about Darius in the story of Daniel and the lions. Uh, at different times during uh, this period uh, where Daniel is, is in service, he's you know, elevated to, to very high roles. And actually in Daniel 6, we saw that uh, his role is such that you know, all of those under him are jealous and they're trying to find ways to pull him down, hence the accusations and this whole kind of you know, ruse to kind of get... Uh, Daniel done away with because of the jealousy uh, of those that are kind of see his elevated position and are jealous of him. So Daniel has this public role, he's, he's in the public eye, people are scrutinising his actions uh, but it's very obvious that Daniel lives for an audience of one. He's serving the king, he's serving the people but actually in his heart of hearts he's living before God, he's serving An audience of one, and the only thing that really matters to Daniel is what God thinks. He's motivated by what brings glory to God. There's this amazing prayer that Daniel prays uh, in uh, Daniel chapter 9, and it's quite clear again in his praying that he is motivated by what brings glory to God. In Daniel 9, 17, it says, Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. And further down, verse 19, Lord, listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. His concern is God's renown, God's glory. The thing that drives him is a desire that God is glorified for who He is. This is the thing that's motivating him. He wants his life to bring glory to God, and his prayer is, "Lord, glorify Your name." This situation doesn't look good in the sense that it's it, it, it's not it's it's not giving You glory. Lord, would You act in this context and this situation and this relationship and this predicament so that You are glorified in that situation? So that's what's motivating him—a desire that God would be glorified, and it's this motive that means that. Daniel will say yes to God no matter what it costs him. He's surrendered to God. His motive is that God is glorified. He lives for an audience of one and his desire is that his life brings glory to God no matter what the cost, no matter if he gets thrown to the lions, uh, no matter if he gets thrown, his friends get thrown in a fiery furnace because of their, their confession. And Daniel is saying, look, whatever it costs me, you first. One of the reasons why we can struggle in the Christian life is that we struggle to deal with this whole issue of avoiding pain, avoiding hardship. We're motivated often by self-preservation, which is a very rational motivation. But if we're to succeed in the Christian life, we need to make sure that number one is that God is glorified. Self-preservation comes lower. And even the preservation of those that you love so many of us, you know, spend a lot of time worrying about our children, worrying about our grandchildren. These are good things. But actually, they have to have come under that chief desire to glorify God. You know, if, if he is not number one, everything's out of sync. If he is number one, everything else can find its place. But we need to be people who say, God, no matter what it costs me, I'm going to go your way. I'm not going to shy back because it hurts. I'm not going to shy back because I'm afraid of what the outcome or what the consequence might be. You know, this sermon is about what we learn from Daniel. uh, But actually, if you look at his friends, when they're thrown in the fiery furnace, again, we can see so clearly that they're not motivated by self-preservation. They're motivated by the lordship of God and by the desire to honour him. So even as they are thrown or about to be thrown uh, in the fiery furnace, uh, they say, I'm looking for it now. I wasn't going to quote it. I just decided to then. Um, Just before he's thrown in the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Whatever happens, Lord, we're not going to sell out. We're not going to worship anything but the Lord our God. He is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to dishonor him. We're absolutely surrendered to him We live for an audience of one. We want to glorify him. and We're saying yes to him, no matter where it leads, no matter what it costs. Part and parcel of this, we see a life of dynamic prayer. Daniel was a man of prayer. He was a person of prayer. His relationship with God was central to who he was and what he did. So clear in Daniel, this is a man that has such a kind of out there cutting-edge relationship, such a walk with God. If you read Daniel, the first six chapters are um, kind of narrative, they're story, they're quite easy and fun to read. But the latter part of Daniel uh, is just these full-on visions that God trusts Daniel with. God isn't just kind of throwing out these kind of, you know, full-on visions that just, you know, speak about end times and, and, you know, eschatology and all these grandiose things to just any old believer. Daniel is a person that's highly esteemed in heaven. Someone that, when he prays, heaven takes notice. He's got this walk with God, this relationship with God. And so God entrusts him with much because of that walk, because of that relationship. Daniel was a person of prayer. And so we read in that chapter, don't we? That was the whole, this is how he fell down. The others knew that they couldn't kind of trap him because of anything that he did. But they knew it was because of his relationship with God that they could get uh, Daniel into uh, a difficult situation if they could persuade the king uh, to, to kind of take on this silly rule about not praying to anyone but him for a season. And so basically Daniel, again, he's, he's not going to stop praying to his God uh, because of this edict. And so we read about how God, uh, Daniel continues, um, uh, where is it? Daniel 6, verse 10 and following. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Three times a day, you know, morning, evening, night, he's forever praying. He's forever living a life of prayer. You know, his life has become a life of prayer. And so he's kneeling three times a day, praying in this way. And actually, we see in Daniel another kind of important thing that we can take note of is that he leads a ba- he's leads he got a balanced prayer life. It says there that he kneels before God and gives thanks to God. But I've only just quoted to you a prayer in Daniel 9, which is, is a prayer of intercession. He's praying for the people of God. He's identifying with his people. He's confessing the sins of the people. We see, don't we, in the Lord's Prayer an outline for prayer where the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, well, we'll pray in this way. And he taught them to, to thank God, to praise God, to call him holy, to pray for his kingdom, to pray his will to be done in the world, to pray for their own needs, or give us today our daily bread, to pray for forgiveness, for grace to forgive, to lead them not into temptation, deliver them to the evil one. So we have this amazing prayer outline that Jesus has given us. And Daniel, too, was someone that had a prayer life that he didn't just camp out in one place. You know, he walked with God, just like you would with any friend. You talk about all manner of things. You're talking about, you know, church one minute, work the next minute, football the next minute, what you're having for dinner the next minute. You know, God wants a relationship with us, which involves communication on all manner of subjects. A God who is interested in the big and the little. But do hang on to the Lord's Prayer, because that's where Jesus really shows us, you know, a model for prayer, where we see that, you know, we're to worship, we're to praise to enter his presence with thanksgiving and praise. We are to pray for the needs of the world. We are to make intercession. We are to, to get his heart for people. This is one of the things that we see in Daniel, that he actually has a heart for people. He prays for the people. And thirdly, you know, Daniel, a person of prayer, he has a balanced prayer life, but also his prayers are so clearly effective. These are prayers that move heaven and earth and result in signs and wonders. We see the miracle uh, of Daniel uh, not being eaten by the lions and, and the effect of that on those who saw it and the king who witnessed this. But even as I said in those latter parts of Daniel where it all, it's a bit out there and he has all these visions and um, it's intriguing when you read that that Gabriel uh, visits Daniel uh, on a couple of occasions and uh, we, we hear um, Gabriel say to Daniel about how when he prays he is heard because he's highly esteemed that actually, uh, the scripture says, doesn't it, that the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. And Daniel was a righteous person who heaven knew who Daniel was. He had an identity, uh, a bit like Gideon. We see, you know, when the angel comes to Gideon, he's quivering with fear. And the angel says, you know, addresses him as a mighty man of valor. And he learns that actually heaven sees him in a different way to perhaps how he sees himself. But we get this insight here when the angel addresses Daniel, and basically I've, I've not written down a, a verse so I can quote it to you quickly, but were you to read Daniel, you'd see in a number of case, cases where he's visited uh, by Gabriel who gives revelation on the visions that he's having and, and addresses him as a person highly esteemed. His prayers move the heart of God. They shift things in the heavens and in the earth. He is also, and again, all these things flow together, a person of sound character. Daniel had a life that stood apart from others. People noticed he was different. His life was different to people around him. He was a person of complete integrity. He was faithful and trustworthy in all that he did. He lived such a godly life, as I've already said, that heaven took notice. And it was because he lived uh, such a godly life, I believe that, again, God entrusted him with so much. Daniel 1.17 speaks about you know, the friends I've already mentioned of Daniel. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Again, if God can trust us, he will trust us with much. If we, are, if we, we live lives that show that we can handle that entrustment you know can God deposit in our lives can he impart to us his power his revelation his provision his answers to our prayers will he find in us a life of integrity a life of character you know you don't give a teenage son who's a muppet you know the keys to your Ferrari assuming the owner Ferrari do you you know you you give the keys of your Ferrari not any of us does anyone own a Ferrari is this a prophetic word for someone Um, You know, you give the keys to the Ferrari, to someone that you can trust, that's not going to be an idiot with it. You know, and if we want God to entrust us with these things, with these gifts, with these abilities, so that he would be glorified, you know, because again, that was Daniel's motive. If we live lives that are in front of an audience of one, where we are making the difficult choices, we are putting him first, we are allowing him to deal with those issues in our hearts, the resentments, the fears, the anger issues, you know, who, you, who among you have got anger management issues or, or things that you're struggling with? You know, God wants to deal with these things. And, you know, we don't have to hide. We just have to come before him and say, God, I need your help. You know, help me deal with some of these things so that I can live a life where, you know, people see and take note that I'm living a life that's so marked with integrity and kindness and mercy and not backbiting and not gossiping at work and not slagging off my colleague at the vending machine or whatever it is you know help me to live a life that so speaks of your purity and your goodness and your love that actually people take note of that life people observe that life and actually as we see in in Daniel people give glory to God because of that says doesn't it in the New Testament that if people see our good works they'll give glory to our Father in heaven and actually in Daniel we see that glory is given to God because of Daniel's life we see these different kings that praise the God of Daniel because of, you know, you know, that people see this life and then they give glory to the God of Daniel. And so Daniel is living life of integrity, of godly character. And Daniel trusted God because he trusted God that he didn't need to fight for his position or resort to underhand tactics like his peers. These other people that were trying to trap Daniel were insecure people that didn't know who they were. If we have a walk with God, we don't have to try and elevate ourselves. We don't have to climb the corporate ladder. We don't have to trip people up in order to get where we want to go. Because in God's own good time, he'll promote us if he wants to. And if he doesn't want to, we don't want to place ourselves somewhere God isn't placing us. If God has got a call on your life, if he's got a work for you to do, if he's got an assignment for you to fulfil, if you put your trust in him, he will elevate you at the right time. You'll receive the phone call. You'll receive the invitation. You don't have to fight for that position. You don't have to fight for that position. You don't have to resort to underhand tactics to gain for yourself something that God hadn't released you into anyway. God released Daniel. God promoted Daniel. And so because Daniel had observed that God had done it, he simply didn't have to resort to these things like those around him. He just got to live a life of integrity, trusting that God really was good. And actually, when we see in the way that Daniel prayed, Daniel prays, uh, again, he's praying for the glory of God in Daniel 9, but he also, again, talks about who God is. Daniel 9, verse 4, I pray to the Lord my God and confess, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Again, he speaks in verse 7 of the Lord, you are righteous. Verse 9, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. You know, he's got a revelation of what God is like. And so he trusts God. He's not running around thinking that God is hard-hearted or that God doesn't like him or God's going to reject him at any minute. He says, you know, Lord, you are the God who's, given, who's made a covenant of love with me, with Israel. You're a God who forgives, a God of mercy. Everyone can love and trust a God like that. We just have to, again, as I was saying earlier in the service, that's why God is saying to us, be still and know. He's not just saying, Be quiet. He's saying, come to a place where inwardly you know that I am a God who's made a covenant of love with you. You know that I have mercy for you. You know that I've forgiven you. So stop rehearsing, you know, saying sorry for that thing you did in 1997 that I forgave you for, you know, in 1997 if you confessed it then. You know, that you trust that he is who he says he is. And Daniel got that. Daniel knew the Lord. He knew what he was like. He knew his character. He knew that he was full of love, full of mercy, of forgiving God. And so he trusted God. And so he lived a life like God. Eventually, you will become like the God you think exists. Eventually, you'll become like the God you think exists. Daniel knew what God was like. And because he knew that he was a God of love, a God of mercy and a God of forgiveness, Daniel became a person that exuded love, mercy and forgiveness. And that's why, everyone, that's why the king loved him so much. This is my final point. Meaningful engagement with the world. Daniel lives a life that is set apart, surrendered. He has a dynamic life of prayer, a life of godly character and a life of meaningful engagement with the world. He loved God and cared about the things God cared about. He cared about people and so God entrusted him with these amazing gifts and abilities that were beyond any of his peers as we've looked at. And the result, the king loved him and glorified God as a result of him. It's interesting that the king actually loved Daniel. He didn't want him. Uh, to be thrown to the lions. You know, he's tricked into it by his advisors. But isn't it intriguing that you can live a life set apart of godly character, but not come over as a prude or a Pharisee or a hypocrite or someone that's pointing at the world. You can live a life in the world where you're not compromising, you're not doing sex, drugs and rock and roll just because your friends are. You're living a life of purity and integrity and still people love you for it. You know, let's get rid of this concept that actually we have to do what our mate is doing or what our colleague is doing. Just because our colleagues like gossiping, we have to join in with them, otherwise they won't like us. Daniel lived a life of integrity, a life that was full on for God. And the king loved him for it. It says that the king was overjoyed. I mean, other people didn't like Daniel, the people that were jealous of Daniel. But actually we see, don't we, in this passage that the king was devastated when he realised he'd been duped into throwing Daniel to the lions. And it said that when Daniel survived and the king found out that the lions hadn't eaten him. He said he was overjoyed. The king was overjoyed. The world liked Daniel. Scripture talks of Jesus as the desire of the nations. Everyone wants a king like Jesus. They just don't necessarily want the God that the church has presented to them. We need to be born again, again. We need a revelation of what God is really like living in our hearts. We need to know the God of Daniel. And if we know that God for ourselves, then we'll cast off our religiousness. We'll cast off our indifference. We'll cast off our apathy. And like Daniel, we'll live lives of radical prayer, radical purity, lives that are so much more exciting than anything else we'd spend our time on, any other college degree, any other job, any other philosophy, any other pursuit. A life like Daniel's that is so rock and roll that actually it fulfills us and it's a means of life to the world. Let's live that life. Let's become that person that knows God in that way, as we see in Daniel. And that's my last slide. What about you? Can you embrace these things we've looked at in Daniel? A life of absolute surrender, not taking the path of least resistance, not going after another way, but actually saying, God, your is the best way and whatever it costs, you're the only thing that counts. A life of dynamic prayer, A life where we we, we actually know God and we we pray and we thank him and we pray for the world but we, we have a communion with him. A life of sound character. God is a God who forgives us. We can say, God, I've messed up. This week I was gossiping. This week I was slagging off my colleague. Lord, I'm sorry. Thank you for your forgiveness but Lord, would you put in me that grace to walk in integrity, that grace to walk in godly character. Make me like that. Help me to live that way. A meaningful engagement with the world. I'm assuming that when this service ends, we're not all going to stay in this building. We're going to go back out there. You all are in the world. We all have jobs. We all have perhaps families that have non-Christians in them. We all have roles. But how do we meaningfully engage in the way that Daniel did? Daniel engaged because he lived for an audience of one, because he lived a radical life of prayer and godly character. God entrusted him with what the world needed. Guess what? The world doesn't need what we have to offer. It needs what only God can provide. The world doesn't need the things that we have. The world is desperate, doesn't need human answers and human solutions. An interesting passage earlier uh, in Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar asks his magicians and astrologers to tell him a dream that he had and interpret it. And they say, no one can do that. There's no one that can tell you what your dream was. Tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. In other words, tell us the dream, we'll think up something, you know, some sort of what it meant. And then the king, Nebuchadnezzar's like, look, I get you guys, you're just going to tell me whatever. No, tell me the dream I had, then I'll know that your interpretation is sound. If I just tell you the dream, you'll come up with any old nonsense. I want you to tell me the dream, because then that's supernatural revelation, then I'll trust your interpretation. None of them can do it. He's going to kill them all. Daniel pleads with God, and God shows Daniel the dream and gives him the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar says, wow, the God of Daniel is real. The world isn't looking for our clever, inverted commas, Christian philosophical answers to its problems. The world needs a supernatural encounter with the living God. Like Daniel, we can cry out to God and say, God, use me, but it's not within me to be the answer to the world's needs. I need need heaven to invade my life, and I need your solution to the world's needs. You know, that person at work that's struggling. You need the word of the Lord for that person. That person that's, you know, you know in dire need or, or whatever it might be. God, I need, I need you to use me in this situation. And yes, I give you my natural abilities. Yes, I give you my personality, my relationships, etc. But actually, in and of myself, I don't have the answer. Lord, like Daniel, I'm saying, Lord, give me the dream and the interpretation. Give that impossible solution to this impossible situation and God will answer. Let's pray.